Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Silent Breed is people! Hoo-ah. Mother of mercy. Is this the end of Rico? This is Simon Rose. You join me for the business of film. James Cameron Wilson is now going to take us through the UK box office chart and review a few movies along the way. James, how is it looking? Well, you may recollect that last weekend, I think partly because it was half term, there was a momentous jump of 70. 70.5%. 70.5%. Absolutely well remembered. So inevitably, now the children have gone back to school, there is a bit of a drop. So it has dropped 40.2%, which was to be expected. And Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which was a huge hit, has plummeted by 66%. It made £3 million last weekend, which I'm not upset that it's gone down so much because i was not a fan it's now got a total of 14.65 million quid at number two i also pretty loathed push in boots the last wish which was at number two last week which made 1.76 million down 45 percent for a total of 20.2 sorry 20.5 million Pounds, but we have a new film which I thought would actually be higher in the chart because it's a film that everybody seems to be talking about. I think partly because it's got a great trailer. Not that I watch trailers, but people tell me it's a great trailer. I, I, I think I know what this is. I went to look at the trailer because people were talking about the trailer. It, yeah, it's really created an incredible buzz. Cocaine Bear. Yes, that's the one I was thinking. So of, I yes. didn't see the trailer, uh, but it made one point fifty-eight million pounds. And, well, I will tell you what I thought. Sometimes, Simon, one comes across a film that is so bad, you kind of enjoy it. <laughs> of course. Okay. Not so cocaine bear. Oh. And no I'll tell you why. Unlike, say, Violent Night, in which David Harbour played Santa Claus, the violence in Cocaine Bear is so graphic and sadistic that it can but churn the stomachs of all but the very, very resilient. So in order to temper the gore, the director, Elizabeth Banks, has opted to go full-out comic. This she does by laying on the music as if it's a Benny Hill romp, while encouraging her actors to mug shamelessly mm. at the camera. Even an old pro like Margot Martindale who must surely count this as the worst performance she has ever given. Even the normally dependable Kerry Russell overdoes the wide-eyed terror bit, although she more or less survives with her dignity intact. I can see what Banks and co were aiming for. We've got a great title, so let's run with it. 
and it does start promisingly. A, a caption credited to Wikipedia declares, American black bears typically avoid confronting humans. And then we spend a little time with a pair of love-struck German hikers discussing their upcoming wedding when the cocaine bear turns up and rips Frau Elsa to shreds before nonchalantly tossing her lower leg at her fiancé. But I don't care what kind of humour you are mining. Film is a very realistic medium. It's not widow twanky and buttons in the woods. And humour still needs an element of surprise and credibility to generate laughs. I noticed a few suppressed titters at the screening I attended, while my 40-year-old male friend spent a lot of the time with his hands <laughs> over his eyes. The comic horror film is a difficult beast to tame, and subtlety does usually win out. But when you telegraph the jokes so broadly, it's hard to enter into the spirit of it. Outrageously, the film proclaims that it is inspired by true events, which I suppose you could also say of Dick Whittington. Yes, back in 1985, a 175-pound American black bear was found in the Georgia woods, having died from a cocaine Overdose, And yes, the cocaine was jettisoned from an aircraft by drug smugglers. But that's it. The rest is all invention. So just when you thought it was safe to go to the woods today, there's Michael Myers of Halloween fame dressed up as a bear so that he can pull off his usual trick of appearing out of nowhere before killing someone and then vanishing. I will commend the film for some of the most realistic gore effects I have yet seen, which I will refrain from describing here. And the scenery of County Wicklow, doubling for Georgia, what? is to die for. I know, it was all shot in Ireland. But the rest is awful. Everybody is portrayed as an idiot. And while a lot of the characters get shot, there are a lot of firearms. Nobody actually shoots the bear in spite of its enormous size. There's also a scene in which the bear passes out, falling on top of Alden Ehrenreich, head to head, whereupon his... So the bear's head is on top of Alden Ehrenreich's head, whereupon Alden Ehrenreich claims that the bear is a female because her vagina is in his ear, even though his head is buried beneath her own head. This is the level of plausibility here. I haven't even got started. I will say that Ehrenreich does bear a passing resemblance to the actor Ray Liotta, who played his father in the film and to whom the, the movie is dedicated. Poor man. No, no doubt Cocaine Bear will find a huge audience. There's gore, there's comedy, and there's a great title. But I found it excruciating and brain-numbingly stupid. Well, I will I'm... say that Kerry Russell, whose husband Matthew Reese has a cameo as the drug smuggler at the beginning, she's not terrible, but even her wide-eyed terror acting was not convincing. I kept on thinking back to George, and that look of frozen horror on the faces of the impending victims. Now that, I believed. Mm. 
Yes, despite the fake-looking shark, even in the revised um, version. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning there are some bad films that actually are so bad they're good, but I feel there was a golden age for that. I haven't seen a, ba- a film that is so bad it's good and enjoyable for a long, long time, as if somehow filmmakers have managed to avoid that. And as far as Cocaine Bear is concerned, well, I, I saw the trailer, so I don't feel I need to see the film. No, no, that's what they're saying. Um a film that's so bad that it's enjoyable, Moonfall, oh, with Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, and Donald Sutherland. Oh, thank that you. That was last year. That was so bad. It was really, I really had a good time with that one. But I this the ones, was just... the ones I remember, Shining Through. There was a period when um, Double Michael X Douglas. with Norman Wisdom. Yes, the Michael Douglas, Manly Griffith film, I think was hysterically bad. And Liam Neeson. Uh, was he in? I can't remember now. But um, that was good. Was. Oh, and Barb Wire, of course, the uh, Pamela Anderson remake of Casablanca. Uh, that was also. <laughs> all of these I now own. All of these. Yeah, we could do a whole program on this. We could. We could. Well, I I shall look out Moonfall. Thank you very much indeed, James. Good moment for hats for us to to take a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. It is indeed Share Radio. You're listening to The Business of Film. I'm Simon Rose. He's James Cameron Wilson. Where do we go now? We've had number three, Cocaine Bear, which quite clearly, great trailer, terrible film by the sound of it. Uh, Indeed, yeah. Uh, We've got, at number four, we've got What's Love Got to Do With It, Ah. which made one million pounds. I can't remember the last time I felt so educated by a rom-com. But then What's Love Got to Do With It, which is not another musical biopic, by the way, is written by Jemima Khan, who knows of what she writes. Jemima Khan, of course, is the daughter of the financier and tycoon Sir James Goldsmith and of the socialite Lady Annabel Vane Tempest Stewart, after whom the legendary nightclub Annabelle's is named. Then, while she was studying at the University of Bristol, she married Imran Khan, the celebrated cricketer and later Prime Minister of Pakistan. Then, after her divorce, she became the editor of the European edition of Vanity Fair before moving into film production, serving as executive editor of We Steal Secrets, the story of WikiLeaks, which I thought was brilliant. And I really enjoyed What's Love? got to do with it. Her first screenplay, directed by none other than Shekhar Kapoor. Essentially, I don't think you can really escape the label. It's a romantic comedy because it's ineffably romantic and, I thought, very funny. The love bit is whether or not it matters in an arranged marriage or assisted marriage, as it's now called. I don't want to go overboard, but as the film went on, the more I warmed to it because I found it relevant and I was learning so much. Our protagonist is Zoe, played by Lily James, who is an award-winning documentary filmmaker. At least she was voted so by the viewers and listeners of Radio Times. And she's looking for a new project. 
Habakkuk's a kind of Anton Deck double act, seemed to be always looking for a movie hook. So when she suggests that her new film could be called Love Contractually, they jump for it. Zoe is the daughter of the flaky Kath, played by Emma Thompson, and grew up beside the Khan family, whose son, Kazim, played by Shazad Latif, was a childhood friend and is now a successful doctor. So it comes as a huge surprise to Zoe when, at 32, he decides to go the traditional route and allow his parents to set up an arranged marriage. And this is where the film shifts up a gear, providing both much humour and fascination as we learn the ins and outs of assisted matrimony, Muslim dating apps, and the like. Kazim's mother, played by Shabana Azmi, explains to camera, Zoe's camera, that it is better to fall in like and to walk into love. It is also noted that while more than half of Western marriages end in divorce, only 6% of arranged marriages do so. And so hopping next door from Kath's house in London, we enter this exotic realm where the rules defy modern expectation. And we enter a sort of Richard Curtis meets Gorinda Chado, Chadda combo. Lily James, who as Zoe is a bit of a wild thing, and has suffered a somewhat checkered romantic history, <clears throat> is always good value and shares some chemistry, I felt, with Shazad Latif, who previously appeared with her in Emily Mortimer's adaptation of Nancy Mitford's The Pursuit of Love on TV. So while she's preparing her film, Zoe contemplates her own navel and decides to get her eggs frozen, noting that she's determined not to put all her eggs into one bastard. Yes, yes. Then I've heard the joke before, but it is quite good, yes. Oh, have you? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> then she hears that only 1% of frozen eggs result in a live birth. One does get the impression that Jemima Khan has really done her research and obviously knows all about arranged marriages, although her own nuptials to Imran Khan was mutually consensual. The wedding was conducted in the Nika style, which is the non-arranged version. Um, as were her later relationships with Hugh Grant and Russell Brand. You can see the ending a mile off, I, I admit that. But for anybody who enjoys a bit of Bollywood colour and gorgeous London scenery and a lot of very typical subjects, this is probably one of the best rom-coms I think mm. I've seen in recent memory. I felt thoroughly edified and entertained and I, by the end, I was rather moved. Well, I, I don't. I, I, I'm dying to know what you thought because I know you've seen it. Well, not only seen it, I went on. A, I went on a date and I booked the tickets in advance. And on that very morning, saw one of the worst reviews for any film I'd ever seen. Uh, a one what, star for... out of five review. So I, I you know, we, we met up and I said, look, if this is really awful, we'll just have to have some signal and leave. And we both thought it was really super. I didn't think it was incredibly funny or necessarily massively romantic. I thought it was, was actually quite, for a rom-com, surprisingly realistic. I thought it was quite mm -hmm. astute about modern dating mores, not just the assisted marriages, but the general, you know, the ones who weren't assisted the ones who are using um, dating apps i thought it was actually spot on we we chuckled quite a lot and it was really pretty successful movie i I'm was so glad. very I really very surprised 
No, yeah, nor I was really I. Was. Rom-coms are really hard to do. I nearly tell anybody I meet about rom-coms that my favourite nearly always um, uh, foreign, m- mostly French. I think they do it very well. But having said that, I haven't actually seen decent French rom-com in about seven or eight years, I don't think. And it's been a long time since I've seen a rom-com that I actually thought worked well. And this, I think, is 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 super. And I would say perhaps a rom-com for, you know, that's not ideal, perhaps aimed at a teen audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think both the leads, Lily James and Shazad Latif, are very engaging. And I really invested in them. Yeah, I I agree absolutely. And we ought to say that Emma Thompson, playing the part of Lily James's mother, is hysterically funny. I thought she was absolutely wonderful. I did think she was a weak point, actually. Did you? Oh, see, well, I thought she was. I thought she was was such a caricature. Well, I, I think I know people like that. Um, yeah. I thought she was fun. Anyway, well, I mean, when didn't... she said bizarre things like the next door neighbour was elegant enough, she could be Greek, which are a kind of <laughs> racial statement, <laughs> twofold. Anyway, be intrigued to see what Jemima Khan um, comes up with next. Yeah, I was really surprised how witty it was. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I oh, so... I'm so glad, Simon. Yes. No, not often we do people are due agree for absolutely on movies, but yes, apart from Emma Thompson, we are definitely in agreement. So, number five, what's that? Uh, Oh, here we have Magic Mike's Last Dance, which is the third in the Magic Mike series set at the Rattigan Theatre in London's West End. Nothing to do with apparently Terence Rattigan, but a character, Roger Rattigan, um, who is in the process of divorcing Sama Hayek. That's down 47% with a total of £4.9 million. I know that they are planning more. This one was directed by Steven Soderbergh, who directed the original and came back to do the third. At number six, we've got a film called Avatar, The Way of Water, which was, compared to the others, was only down a mild 33% for a total now of £76.1 million, which makes it now the 11th highest grossing film of all time in the UK, having over The Lion King last week, and it's about to sink James Cameron's Titanic. At number seven, we've got Epic Tales, which was at number five, a.k.a. Argo Nuts, everywhere else, about a mouse called Patty in ancient Greece with the voices of Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe, which probably won't mean much to our overseas listeners. It was down 39% with a total of 1.51 million. We have a new film at number eight called Broker, which is a South Korean drama from Hirokazu Kureda, who brought us Shoplifters, which was a masterpiece, at 71 screens, which is the best performance at £150,000 for a picture house film in five years. I think the last time a film made that much over the weekend for picture house Mm. was The Wife with Glenn. Uh, At number nine, we've got Knock at the Cabin, which has fallen three places from number six, which has made a total of just over three million pounds, which is M. Night Shyamalan's bafflingly odd sort of thriller, uh, cabin siege thriller with Dave Bautista and Rupert Grint. And the best film, Sans Dute, in the top ten, is Women Talking, which was at number eight. It's only made a total of £630,000. But then it's only showing at 197 cinemas. But mm. I, I do want to go and see it. It didn't seem an ideal date movie, though. 
No, okay. Well, wonderful cast. Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, brilliant. Ben Whishaw, never been better. Francis McDormand. It is um, a wonderful film. But I know we're running out of time. So, as I don't have a car at the moment, I'm, I've been doing a lot of streaming this last week. Mm. So, I'm going to talk about Sharper, which is available on oh, Apple yes. TV. In the words of the opening caption, a Sharper is not a permanent marker, but one who lives by their wits. To my delight, Benjamin Caron's movie opens in a second-hand bookshop, like such wonderful films as 84, Charing Cross Road, Turtle Diary, Notting Hill, Wonderstruck, and I suppose to a lesser extent, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And like a good book, the narrative is divided into chapters, with the first one entitled Tom. Tom, played by Justice Smith, is a retiring bookish young man well young he's in his 20s who is behind the counter buried in a copy of the complete works of edgar Allan poe then blowing in from the new york street outside a very attractive young woman played by brianna middleton enters the shop in search of a hardback copy of zora neale hurston's their eyes were watching god a classic of course of the harlem renaissance as she is unable to locate the volume, Tom comes to her rescue and he and she strike up a conversation where it turns out that she's a PhD student at NUY, sorry, NYU, and is studying the redefining of radicalism and the rise of black feminism in American literature. So she's pretty and bright. And in a somewhat clumsy way, Tom suggests they go out for a bite to eat later that evening, which she sweetly turns down. Then when her credit card is declined, she comes back later with the cash and agrees to his proposition of dinner, which we, the audience, had desperately hoped would come to pass as they would make such mm. a sweet couple. And sure enough, they get on like a house on fire and Tom seals the date by showing her a signed first edition of Jane Eyre by Curra Bell. And that's all I'm going to say as there are more chapters, and when each new character is introduced in the next chapter, he or she gets the next chapter to themselves. And this labyrinthine film develops different hues. Julianne Moore gets top billing, so she obviously gets a chapter to herself, and the Sebastian Stan and John Lithgow, Lithgow, as they call him in America, as well. And it's not easy to guess where all this is going, which is a huge plus in the film's favour. There's also a sumptuous score from the incredibly underrated Clint Mansell, whose music for Requiem for a Dream should have won an Oscar. And the film is seductively lit by the Danish cinematographer Charlotte Bruce Christensen. The performances, too, are top of the range, so there is plenty to enjoy in this Apple TV release. But as is so often with these types of films, movies based on intrigue, so I guess it's not really a rom-com after all, is that they can get a little too clever for their own good, which I found to be the case here. So if you park your cerebral cortex to one side, you should have a jolly good time and enjoy the views of Manhattan. If pushed, I would say the film is really about one-upmanship, amorality, and I suppose money, all of which are engaging subjects. So I will stop there. So I, I, enjoy I can't tell. You, 
You did enjoy it, or not? It's hard, hard to tell. You have to sort of I enjoyed disengage it your brain a bit more. Yeah, it gets a bit silly at the end. Um, and it's just too clever for its own good. Right. I just wish there hadn't been so many twists. I don't uh, want to give too much away. Reading a review of it, I sort of got the impression it was a sort of wanted to be a David Mamet film. That is an angle I hadn't thought of. But, but, but you know, I haven't seen the movie. It was just, you know... I mean, it's enjoyable for what it is. It's very right. well shot, and it, and it sounds great, thanks to okay. Clint Mansell. And there are good oh. performances. What more could you ask? James, I just wish I was much. more engaged in some kind of emotional level with it, yes. other than just admiring it. Right, James. Well, thank you very much indeed. I hope you get your car back soon so you can get to the cinema without having <laughs> to you. cycle, which I know is incredibly uh, difficult. Um, we uh, are going to be back with more Business of Film at the same time next week. My thanks to James Cameron Wilson. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Is it safe? We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Nobody puts baby in a corner.